You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hey, this is Lady C. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Critical Thought. In the upcoming segment, we will be discussing the top three areas where Jehovah's Witnesses exhibit collective narcissism. And we are teaming up with Ark Ripley of Arglue to collaborate on this topic. Now, Ark is not one of Jehovah's Witnesses and has no affiliation with the group, so he'll be bringing in his outside perspective in the topic of collective narcissism. Thank you, Ark, for being on the program. I just want to first start off and say thank you so much, uh, EXJW, Critical Thinker, for having me here, Lady C and JT, and just a little bit of background about who I am. Um, again, my name is Ark Ripley. I have a YouTube channel, Arglue. And I studied communication um, at USC, also at the University of Amsterdam. And um, I studied for quite a while just, you know, about language, how it affects society. And in, after graduating and all that stuff, um, I just ran into the topic of narcissism. I was really skeptical and thinking like, whoa, wait a minute. I can't believe what's happening here. As I started researching this, I said, wait, a lot of the people that I've been in contact with I'm realizing that I've been dealing with narcissism, people who potentially have narcissistic personality disorder. And this is after studying people like Dr. Romani uh, DeVrosilla, different clinical psychiatrists, and what they have to say about the topic. Um, and so basically today, I know what we're going to talk about is collective narcissism, you know, narcissism on the collective level. But I want to first start off by talking about it from the individual aspect. And the reason for that is because they're basically pretty much the same thing. When we talk about narcissism, I think the thing that people should really keep in their minds is the one thing that drives narcissists, the one thing that drives human beings, which is we all have the need to feel special. And so a healthy person, for example, trying to fulfill that need to feel special, what they'll do is they might go out and you know work hard to become a fantastic guitarist, right? They might work for six hours a day, six days a week. And after six months of rehearsing, people who've heard them six months ago might hear them and go, whoa, wow, you're amazing. I can't believe how great you sound. Now, the narcissist might do something like that. But the difference between a narcissist and someone who is healthy, the narcissist will fulfill this need to feel special at any and all costs. So Whereas a healthy person might fulfill that need to feel special by doing, you know, working hard or doing whatever uh, a narcissist or a toxic individual might do it at the expense of other people. And so that's what I think we really need to keep in our minds is basically the addiction that the narcissist has. Um, you know, there are levels to narcissism. You have like what clinical clinical psychologists call like an echoist. And I'm not going to go into that right now, but basically they'd be at the unhealthy level of narcissism where they have absolutely no narcissism. And then you have the extreme narcissist, which is at the level 10, who's like the toxic individual. But that toxic person, what it is, is they are addicted to feeling special. And so that's what I want to keep uh, the focus on when we think about narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder. Now, um, going into collective narcissism, it's really the same thing. Um, collective narcissism obviously is on the collective level uh, where it's just the belief that the group has some type of, you know, they're exceptional in some type of way. You know, they are really there to protect the grandiose image of this group. And a lot of times members within the group 
um, they're not necessarily concerned with trying to better the group. So, for example, if it's a hate group, they're not necessarily interested in trying to make the group have empathy or show empathy towards others. What they're more concerned about is that grandiose image that I'm talking about. Uh, if people challenge that image or they the pe members within the group fear that that image somehow or, or they will be somehow um, set back because of uh, because of gains that other people, things that other people are gaining, um, then it kind of threatens that group, the collective narcissistic group. Okay, so in this particular episode, as I had stated before, we will be discussing the top three areas where Jehovah's Witnesses are collective narcissists. And the first area that we're gonna be discussing is the persecution complex. Hey Art, we appreciate you getting with us to do this video. Uh, because one of the things that we have often discussed on our channel, uh, especially in reference to Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, people oftentimes will refer to them as a cult. Uh, I prefer, and we've often discussed this, referring to them really as a high control group. And the reason why is because it's very easy to describe them in terms of characteristics. And one of the characteristics uh, that we have looked at, and that's why we wanted to talk to you, because you've often done a lot of videos on this, you've had a lot of discussion about this, so we've enjoyed uh, listening to you and talking to you personally uh, about the characteristics that can identify not only a, a narcissistic person, but as you said, a collective group of people who demonstrate the same type of characteristics. And I was just thinking about the area of how Jehovah's Witnesses feel about persecution. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses feel that basically they're the only people who are persecuted as Christians. Uh, there's a website, it's called persecution.org, and we invite people, if you get a chance, to go there. It's called persecution.org. And what it basically does, it's like a, like a group that monitors the type of persecution that people who are part of Christianity around the world are experiencing. And when you go on this site, what you will see is they also discuss Jehovah's Witnesses. What is interesting is we're talking about something to the tune of over 100 million people who are Christians who often experience persecution for what they believe. If you go to the Jehovah's Witnesses site, you will not see any mention of any other religious groups being persecuted. So my question for you is, since you made the point that a narcissist is often a person uh, or group that wants to make themselves feel special, uh, what type of characteristics would you find as you examine a religious group like the Jehovah's Witnesses? So some of the attitudes and behaviors that uh, narcissists, you know, will display are, you know, it really, I mean, it, first of all, I'd like to say this. If you, if you think about collective narcissism, it extends from ethnocentrism where people, what is ethnocentrism? You know, people will go to another country, for example, and they will describe that person's religious beliefs or their value system based on definitions from their own perception of, or from where they're from. And so a lot of times these types of individuals, they are basically going to view other people as extensions of themselves. And they're not going to come from a place like, if you think about an anthropologist or you know a good anthropologist, for example, they will go to another country and they will let those people speak for themselves. And you might even see, once you see the documentary about what this anthropologist discovered, for example, you might see at the bottom of the screen, you know, um, everything will be translated in English because they're allowing these people to speak in their own native, you know, in their own tongue from their own experiences. And so a lot of times uh, people who have narcissistic uh, characteristics or who have narcissistic personality disorder will 
frame things from their own frame of reference. I guess that's the best way uh, to describe it. And in the collective narcissistic organism, you'll have people who are really defensive about that collective's identity and they get really upset. They might, you know, there might be physical attacks, there might be personal attacks uh, that come from this because, again, that image is threatened. And um, these individuals within the collective, they basically form their own identity from within that collective because a lot of times maybe people may not feel like they have a certain amount of success in their own lives. And so they're able to kind of kind of siphon or, or ex extract some of the grandiose image from this narcissistic collective. Yeah, you know, I've, I, I look back myself as, as growing up one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, this feeling of being special was very, very important to us. Um, anytime we heard an article or heard something that was happening to a Jehovah's Witness, um, that's how we responded many times. And especially when it comes to persecution, uh, as a witness, we would feel that we were oftentimes being persecuted for our religious beliefs, uh, even if the religious belief turned out to be absolutely wrong. Uh, let me give you a perfect example. Uh, for a number of years, uh, witnesses were told that they could not take certain blood fractions. So you may have a person or a family that has an accident and they need a certain type of blood fraction that they were told by the watchtower, you can't have this fraction. So you would get doctors and uh, people at the hospital and, and judges, they would all get involved trying to uh, force, quote unquote, blood fractures on Jehovah's Witnesses. And what would happen is, as a Jehovah's Witness, we would view that we were being persecuted. Take, for example, hemoglobin was one of the blood fractions that for many, many years a Jehovah's Witness could not take. So if they found themselves in the hospital before a judge, before hospital administrators and doctors telling them you need to take this, the witness would have said they were being persecuted for the sake of God. Then when the watchtower changed it and said, it's okay to take hemoglobin now, uh, the question you have to ask is, well, were you being persecuted for God or were you merely being persecuted because of the group that you belong to came up with this? And of course, for a critical thinker, the answer is very obvious. You weren't really under any type of Christian persecution. You were under watchtower persecution, as it were, because it had nothing to do with God. And so many times people, they, they have these ideas in their mind, and they actually think they're being persecuted for God's sake, when in fact, it's not the case at all. Thanks, guys. Excellent points. Now, let's move on to the next topic. And this is where Jehovah's Witnesses believe that they are the only true religion. So now I want to talk about this concept that we spoke about, uh, Lady C and JT, before doing this video. We kind of summarized it where we were saying that Jehovah's Witnesses believe that they have the only true religion and that there is no other denomination to gain salvation from except theirs. Um, and so a lot of times I think the well, the problem with that is, you know, you you have people who are believing something that really hasn't been proven to be true. And this is what I've always or this is what I gained from being a communication student. You know, we're taught that you really any anytime you're trying to prove something, there's always a possibility that it's not true. So I'm not going to come on this channel and say, hey, everyone, I'm going to prove to you that the ocean is real today because nobody would sit here because the things that we don't talk about are the things that we have all silently agreed. They're true. Right. I don't have to prove to you that the sun exists or the ocean exists because we, there's a silent agreement. We don't talk about the things that we know to be true. So if I'm trying to prove something to you, there's always a chance that it may not be true. Right. 
So the easiest way around that to keep people from critically thinking is to say, you know what, is to use guilt. And if you look at any value system, there's always guilt or fear attached to it. But I, I tend to think that guilt works a lot better on people, um, especially when it comes to religion. And so if you say, you know, you're going to go to this horrible place or you're going to, you know, you're going to be destroyed after you die or whatever it is, it guilts people into believing something that you have not proven to be true. And I think that's why a lot of people have or find it difficult to be able to critically think um, because of the guilt and the fear that's attached to this value system that they've learned all of their lives. And I want to say this, too. I also think it's uh, cognitive dissonance. What guilt does is it causes cognitive dissonance. And for those of you all who don't know what that means, cognitive dissonance is basically when you have two conflicting Two conflicting ideas. So, for example, if you have a husband who's knocking you through five walls, right, and you realize if someone says, hey, it may be time for you to leave this person, what people tend to do is the cognitive dissonance will keep them in a negative or abusive situation. They'll say, well, yeah, he's knocking me through five walls, but who am I going to be if I'm not with him? You know, he provides me with $3,000 a month. You know, he takes the kids to school. He does all these things. How am I going to be? Who am I going to be without this person? And so that's what the guilt and the fear does to people. And it allows them to basically take on a value system or a belief system. And the person has not done a good job of proving it. You know, Arch, you make an excellent point. Uh, the guilt tripping. Uh, that is actually one of the techniques that's very well used by Jehovah's Witnesses as an organization. In fact, we refer to it as the fog, fear, obligation, and guilt. And the point that you made about the abusive wife or the abusive spouse who is told, where are you going? What would I be if I leave this person? It's interesting because that is actually one of the cornerstone teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. When a person is starting to become one of Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll basically teach you a couple of things. They'll teach you all the books of the Bible. They'll teach you all the basic Bible characters. And when a person is considering leaving, they will often throw out the question, where are you going? That's exactly the same as an abusive husband does. Basically, he's letting his wife or whatever know, you cannot make it without me. And that is what every Jehovah's Witness faces because all of their life, I mean, literally all of their life. In fact, that's probably one of the number one questions that we find because we, we consider Jehovah's Witnesses experience spiritual abuse. Their religion literally beats them almost to death. And in some cases, they do lose their lives because of doctrines that end up, turn up to be absolutely bogus at the end of the day. So people have lost their life for bogus doctrines. And so these people often, when they get ready to consider leaving, that's one of the first questions they'll ask. Well, where am I going? I don't have nowhere to go. And that's interesting because that's what they were told when they first became one of Jehovah's Witnesses. You have nowhere to go. And that's the same thing that an abusive spouse is often told, like you mentioned. They are often told, you won't make it without me. And they will feel that way. There are so many women who have stayed in abusive relationships over the years, historically, because I don't think I have anywhere to go. And as long as they don't know of anywhere to go, they will stay. But facts show that when people realize that they can leave an abusive spouse and there are support systems in place that will help them, it's interesting, these people will oftentimes leave. And that has actually been one of the key tools for Jehovah's Witnesses. A person feels he has no support system. And the reason why is because very skillfully and very by and much by design, the witness has been cut off from all persons who are not witnesses. They form no bonds, no relationships with anybody outside of the witness world. 
Any witness who forms a bond, a friendship, a relationship with persons outside of the religion is going to be condemned. You would be literally hard-pressed, and I mean hard-pressed, Ark, to find a Jehovah's Witness who would introduce someone on their job or someone in their community to other Jehovah's Witnesses and say, this is one of my best friends. Can't do that. Can't do that. So the witness has no friends or structure, structure outside of the religion. So when he gets ready to leave, and part of leaving means that you will be cut off from all those within the religion, the person literally has no support system. And over the years, that has really been the problem for many persons who are considering leaving this religion. But interestingly, with the advent of the Internet, it's a game changer. And I really mean it is a game changer. You see, Art, what has allowed people to do now is to be able to find support systems outside of the religion. And that's what we try to help people to see. There are support systems that can help you. And so they feel that this is the only true religion. No other religion can teach me the truth. And so they, they look and they long for this elusive thing of being able to find just the truth. If they can't teach this, then this is not for me. So this idea of this being the only true religion is deeply ingrained in Jehovah's Witnesses. And as a result, it has caused many persons who realize I really need to leave to actually stay. That's so true. I mean, if you think about any type of situation where people don't want to leave, it, it, you know, that cognitive dissonance plays a huge role into it in that because, you know, people will say, well, who will I be? I mean, even you, you hear this happen with, you know, people who are, let's say, for example, gay and they have to tell their parents, hey, I'm gay. And they're afraid of telling that person because, you know, well, maybe I'm going to be ostracized. The family's going to disown me. And a lot of times that happens in religions. From what I know, this happens in the Jehovah's Witness faith as well. If, you know, if I come out, if I, if I challenge the religion or if I critically think too much, um, what's going to happen? Am I going to be ostracized? Is my family going to ostracize me? Uh, will I have anyone who's able to take my side for just critically thinking and saying, wait a minute, I don't know if that sounds true. And a lot of times, just like that spouse, that woman or that man who's in an abusive relationship, they'll get signals and they'll get signs either from other people or just from simply being knocked through five walls, you know, but they'll get signs that will tell them, I don't know if this is, if this feels right. Or, you know, we, we have feelings and we know when something doesn't necessarily feel correct or all the way correct for, for who we are. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll critically think about that. But I think what, you know, EXJW, what you all are doing is really phenomenal because what it does is it allows that person who's in the dark, who's, you know, reading at night, who, you know, who has that kind of mind where they, they're, they're, they're ready to challenge certain value systems and certain things in our society that they've been taught either through, you know, just growing up in the faith or what, however they got into it, but they're ready to challenge it. And you all are allowing them to do that, but possibly without feeling ostracized and having to, you know, go before the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and basically challenge them directly. And you all are providing a lot of information and you all are, are a great example of, you know, people who, who have a mind and who don't, who are not afraid to challenge and critically think about any value system that you have. So, you know, I think a lot of people are really going to, or actually do appreciate you for that. That brings us to our final topic, number three, where Jehovah's Witnesses believe that they are the center of attention. Yeah, this is an area that, uh, I think, uh, really highlights uh, how collectively groups can be narcissistic. 
Uh, and that is much like an individual. They think that they are the center of attention. Um, as a Jehovah's Witness, that's what we were actually taught. Uh, the Watchtower takes a scripture out of the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, and it deals with how the apostle made the point that we're a theatrical spectacle in terms of being on the world stage. And as Jehovah's Witnesses, that's what we actually believe. I mean, we actually believe that religions around the world were discussing and plotting against Jehovah's Witnesses. And I know the Lady C and I, when we left the religion, one of the things that we did is we would actually take the time to ask people who were of different faiths, does your, does your minister ever talk about Jehovah's Witnesses in his sermons? And they're like, no. I've never heard, I've been up 22 years, never heard anything. And we would just ask people all the time, you know, people in the job, does your, does your pastor ever talk about Jehovah's Witnesses? Nah, I've never heard anything mentioned before. And so then we started asking other former Jehovah's Witnesses, have you ever asked anybody as to whether or not Jehovah's Witnesses or the conversation surrounding Jehovah's Witnesses is being discussed in your church? In other words, there being uh, pamphlets being written or bulletin board issues being discussed. And do you realize that I have not met anyone who has talked about that? Yeah, they talk about Jehovah's almost all the time. They have never mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, I was really amazed just how little people talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. And so as a Jehovah's Witness, I was walking around town thinking that, you know, we're the center of attention here in the community, when in reality, we're not. Jehovah's Witnesses are really a small part of the religious population. But yet we actually thought that we were the center of attention when it came to religion. Uh, once again, that collective narcissistic mindset. Um, and that was one of the interesting things about thinking that we're always being on the stage. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's the us against them. You know, it's just like a lot of narcissists believe that they are the center of the universe, um, at least from what I've studied with individual narcissists. And so what it does is it, cost, it causes people to have this reaction to basically defend the group because if people are trying to persecute us or they're trying to destroy the message that we have, this, this truth that we have for the world, then we have to stop them. We have to, to keep them from harming us. And, you know, a lot of times it may not even be a direct confrontation. It may just be someone saying something that conflicts with what Jehovah Witnesses, for example, believe. And it might make a lot of sense. Somebody might critically think about something. And to a person who is a part of that collective, they see that as a threat, again, to that grandiose image. And so they'll go out and try to protect it, as opposed to trying to make the community better and, and saying, wait a minute, maybe we, maybe our belief system is wrong in this area and we need to figure out why we believe this and not what someone else is saying who might be Christian or whatever. But again, they'll go out and try to protect that image. Oh, Ark, you're, you're, you're right on the point. I mean, just right on point. Uh, the us versus them mindset is, uh, is something that interestingly Jehovah's have actually, they, they, they polish it to, to, a shining, to a shining stone. I mean, they got it down to a science. Uh, every Jehovah's Witness little kid is told over and over again that you and your classmates, you have to help them. And they're told them that if they don't come to the Kingdom Hall, they will not survive Armageddon. Every Jehovah's Witness child has been told that. Because many times they'll refer to their classmates as their friends. And the witnesses will teach them, no, they're not your friends because they're not friends of Jehovah. So they're not your friends. And so they create this 
this mindset. So you figure by the time a child started the first grade looking at his classmates, they're, they're, not, they're not friends of God, they're enemies of God. By the time you get to the, your senior year in, in high school, you see your classmates as dead meat because if they didn't accept the message that you were trying to give to them, that's how you basically will end up viewing them. That is really the bottom line. And so in the community, uh, you don't look at your neighbors other than someone that you can offer them something published by the Watchtower. Uh, in your family, your relatives, once again, you don't look at them as anyone more than someone you can offer Watchtower material. And so as a result, you get that us versus them. And that's why people often say, you know, witnesses will break up families because they don't do things with the family anymore socially or, or many times they will limit these things because they're taught to do this. And so this narcissistic mindset that you've mentioned both on an individual level and especially when you look at a collective group where everybody's being taught the same thing and they view people and issues exactly the same way. Um, I mean, it's, it's just amazing when you make a comparison of how narcissistic individuals can be and even groups can be. And so if you think about that, you know, if you're told as a child that you these people are not really your friends unless they believe what you believe, then that right there, it implies that you are special, right? Because what you're being taught is people have to be an extension of you or people have to have an extension of your the value system that you believe. And that kind of goes back to ethnocentrism. People are not really people or people are not really your friend or they're not good enough unless they're an extension of you. But from what you all are ex explaining about the Jehovah's Witness faith, faith, I do see um, a lot of there. There are some parallels of narcissism, definitely. So, you all, I just want to close out with this. First of all, thank you all again for having me on this channel, um, JT and Lady C. And I just want to say to your viewers, it's never wrong to critically think. And a lot of times guilt works on a lot of people, especially people in religions. But as I started studying about this topic of narcissism, um, you start to realize that it's okay. It's okay to critically think. It's okay to question people's motives or question the motives, you know, of the value system that you've been brought up to to believe. And you know, narcissists are everywhere in our society. You know, in every institution, they exist. And so you have to ask yourself, what are the signs? What are the red flags? And Continue down the road of self-love, because I think that's what it boils down to is self-love. Do you love yourself enough to just ask the questions to really challenge? And I don't mean challenge directly. If you feel like, you know, and when we talk about individual narcissists, we really try to warn people not to challenge a narcissist directly. But when I say challenge, I mean, challenge yourself. Ask yourself the important questions. You know, if I'm in a group of people and, you know, they're all saying the same things and it doesn't really connect with what I believe or I have just a, a kind of a differing opinion. Will they will they be receptive of me having my own mind? Will they be receptive of me critically thinking and just asking questions about it? But again, I think it's really important to ask yourself, what do I believe? And that that deals with self-love. You know, when we talk, when we deal with narcissistic individuals and people who've been through narcissistic abuse, a lot of psychologists and clinical psychiatrists will try to get the person who's being abused to understand what they want or to really focus on themselves because a lot of times we as individuals, especially people who come from a religious background, we are used to being extensions of someone else or extensions of a group. And I think we're moving towards a time now where everybody is ascending, we're evolving and we're asking questions and it's okay. And so 
you all, I think that's what you're doing on this channel, EXJW Critical Thinker. I, I think it's great what you're doing. And once again, I thank you for having me. Thanks so much. You know, Art, I just want to say thank you, uh, my wife and as well, um, because you've given people something very simple, food for thought. And that's what it's all about. We want to be able to think critically, ask the critical thinking questions, and of course, be willing to accept what the answers are. We want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode of The Critical Thought. We appreciate having you in our audience. Always feel free to email us if you have questions or comments. And you can send those emails to exjwct at gmail.com. This has been Lady C. And thank you for being in our audience. Hey, Jay the Comedian here. Did you enjoy that video? Would you like to see more content like it? Then you gotta subscribe. And it'd really be a big help to JT and Lady C if you like the video and leave a comment. Make sure you hit this little notification bell right here. That way you'll know when another video gets posted. I really hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next video. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.